0: Hello friends and welcome to Into the Word A radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter Your word is a lamp unto my feet Hope you have your Bible open in front of you to Genesis chapter 3. I think I said in the first episode of this series that we read the Bible to learn about God, about us, and about how God saves us through the person and work of Christ. Well, all of those themes are on glorious display in the third chapter of Genesis. We'll begin reading the text at verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, there's no doubt as to who this serpent really is. This is the devil. This is Satan, the accuser and adversary of the people of God. We know that because the Bible says that in Revelation 12, 9. John says that this is the great dragon. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, Revelation 12, 9. So the devil is Satan, and he is the ancient serpent. Who was the deceiver of the whole world? Matthew Henry says about him No sooner was he a sinner than he was a Satan, no sooner a traitor than a tempter, as one enraged against God and his glory, and envious of man and his happiness. That is a very important reminder. You see, the devil has no direct power over human beings. The devil's a created thing, and therefore he is lower than humanity on the original scale of creation. The original design of the world had human beings under God and over everything else. The devil is a part of that everything else. Therefore, he could not curse the man and the woman directly, he could only lure them onto the lethality of the law. See, the word of God has power in and of itself. So if the devil wanted to kill and curse the man and the woman, he would have to lure them into transgressing the word and commandment of the Lord. And that is what we see him doing here. Look at the next words. He said to the woman, "'Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden?' Let us, first of all, notice the subtlety of his approach. He attacks the word of God at the point of the handoff. We remember from chapter 2 that Eve was not even present when God gave his word of command concerning the tree. That command was given to Adam before Eve had even been made. The devil is testing. He's probing here for weakness in the ministry and leadership of Adam, and he finds it. Notice also the focus of the attack. He attacks the word of God. All sin begins in this place. Sin is essentially doubting and then defying the word and commands of God. Every sin begins with some version of this question. Did God really say? The devil is constantly trying to undermine the authority of God's word. The less attached we are to the authority of God's word, the more he can push us into death and disaster. Just be aware of that, church. Be on your guard against any so-called pastor or teacher or leader who teaches something other than the unchanging word of God. Be aware of novel interpretations. Be aware of people who suggest that God's word means something other than what it plainly says, there are many snakes in the garden and they all begin their attacks on God's people in this way. Notice also that the devil is trying to make the word of God look unreasonable. He says, did God really say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, of course, God had said nothing like that. If he had said that, it would have been totally unreasonable, but he didn't say that. But now the idea of that is in the woman's head. She is beginning to wonder if God is in fact being unreasonable. The seed has been sown. Verse 2 says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, here you can see that the seed of satanic suggestion, beginning to take root in Eve's mind, has now borne its fruit. She is now imagining God as being less generous than he is. She is exaggerating the restrictions of the law. She is adding to the word of God in order to make it harder than it actually is. She says that God forbade them to eat or to touch the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when in fact God had done no such thing. The woman has walked into the trap. She is misremembering and misquoting the word of God, and she is doubting God's goodness and generosity. The serpent continues his assault. Verse 4 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So here the devil denies that God's word has any true power or lethality. There is no hell. There is no consequence. God is a pacifist. I'm sure of it. The devil has no end of fools and liars to spread that story Throughout creation, this is a direct refutation of God's own self disclosure. Back in chapter 2, God had said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God is not a pacifist, apparently, not if his word means anything, and he expects his commands to be obeyed. He has a law, it is a fence. And it is electrified. If you try and transgress it, you will die on it. That's what God says. But the devil assures the woman that the fence only looks electrified. Touch it and you will see that it is perfectly benign. You see, the devil says, this is all a sham. The emperor has no clothes. He says in verse 5, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God has tricked you, Eve. He's just like you and you are just like him. He is trying to keep you from achieving your true potential. You don't need a God, Eve. You are a God. Don't Let God make your decisions for you. You decide good and evil for yourself. You live your own truth, Eve. You are a goddess, and you deserve it. Verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Here we learn a most distressing fact. Adam has been here with his wife, standing silently by while she faced the assault of the devil. He has been doing what weak men do. Nothing. When the serpent arrives with his temptations, Adam does not step forward as the steward of God's word and say, I will test the truth of your word, serpent. Speak to me. No. In fact, Adam does nothing. And into the leadership void charges Eve. The Bible is introducing us to one of the universal facts of human nature. Men hide. Men play. Men get distracted. Men abdicate and women delight to fill the gap. Women charge in and men go fishing. Men should lead but they rarely do. Eve is the unquestioned leader of humanity in this exchange and Adam was a passive observer. The descent of humankind into fall and ruin was precipitated in large part by Adam's abandonment of his ministry and call and the usurpation of that ministry and call by his wife. And that fact lies at the heart of the human story. Verse 7 goes on to say, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Notice this, my friends. The devil promised special knowledge, but the knowledge they received was not the knowledge they had hoped for. Sin always underdelivers. What they got was shame and isolation. They immediately begin to hide from each other and from God. Verse 8 goes on to say, And they heard the sound of the Lord God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God always takes the initiative in our salvation. They weren't looking for him. God was looking for them. My friends, this is one of those things that you just have to understand. Old Testament and New, there is no such thing as a sinner seeking God. There aren't any here in Genesis 3, and there aren't any in the New Testament either. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 3, verses 11 to 12, No one seeks for God. That seems pretty clear. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. Human beings in their fallen state run away from God. They seek idols and isolation. But thanks be to God, God comes looking for them. He seeks them out. He is the hound of heaven. He comes looking for them. And he, Adam, said, verse 10, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Notice here that sin is defined in terms of the word of God. God doesn't say, did you do something naughty, Adam? He says instead, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Sin is doing what God's word forbids or not doing what God's word commands. Notice how the man responds in verse 12. Man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. He blames the woman, right? And then the woman blames the serpent. We see that in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. (laughs) Matthew Henry says here, sin is a brat that nobody is willing to. To own. I like that. How true that is. And how rare it is to find someone who will own their own sin. Rare is the man or woman who repents like King David. Say what you like about King David. He was a great sinner, but he was also a great repenter. When he was confronted with his sin, he didn't blame Bathsheba for being beautiful, he didn't blame Uriah for leaving his wife unattended. He took responsibility. He said, 2 Samuel 12, 13, I have sinned against the Lord. That is real repentance. This here in Genesis 3 is just blame shifting and nonsense. Verses 14 to 15 go on to say, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Theologians sometimes refer to verse 15 as the prot-evangelium or the first giving of the gospel. God says to the devil that there will be perpetual warfare between him and his seed and the woman and her seed. But from the woman will come an offspring, a seed, who will defeat the devil at some cost to himself and return human beings to their original dignity and calling. This is the gospel, right? This is the good news that God isn't finished with humanity. A child will come born of a woman and he will be strong to save. He will suffer, but he will triumph. And he will rescue us, restore us, and bring us home. That is the gospel Thanks be to God. And we hear it for the first time in the Bible in Genesis 3.15. But of course, the reality of that promise is still a long way off for Adam and Eve. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. But he shall rule over you. Every relationship is poisoned by sin nothing is untouched not even the sacred bond of marriage what was once so good right just a chapter ago they were naked and not ashamed everything now though is different it is all tainted and forever changed the woman will have contrary desires desires contrary to her husband but he shall rule over her Scholars and linguists debate about how best to translate that verse, but however you slice it, it sounds like confusion and conflict to me. Such is marriage apart from the presence of God. Verse 17, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There are a couple things we need to see here. First of all, notice that all sin involves a wrong ascription of authority, Adam should have treated the word of God as authoritative. Instead, he treated the word of his wife as authoritative. And many men commit that error. But treating anything as authoritative over and against the word of God will result in sin. Treating the cultural consensus or the spirit of the age as authoritative over and against the word of God will also result in sin as it so often does in our day. Notice also that God does not curse the man or the woman directly. He curses their work and their environment. Everything they were meant to do is harder now because they're away from God at war with each other and fallen from their original nature and dignity. It's hard for us to even imagine our original nature and dignity. Derek Kidner says very helpfully here, he says, the nature miracles of Jesus give some idea of the control which man under God might have exercised. Have you ever even thought about that? That all, all those things that Jesus did, what, walking on the water, pulling coins out of the mouth of a fish, right? All that stuff is not just a display of his divinity. It's not It's not actually a display of his divinity. It's a display of his un blemished, untainted, unfallen human nature. Things would have been so different had we not rejected the word of God and doubted his mercy and goodness. Verse 20 says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. In these verses, we see faith, we see love, and we see hope. Adam names his wife Eve because he believes that life will go on and God will keep his promises, right? That's faith. We see love. Even though the man and woman have sinned, God still takes care of them. He doesn't give up on them. He is punishing them, but not to kill them but to heal them. He is, he is poisoning their wells, you might say, but only so as to eventually drive them home. He is blighting the earth and their employment, but only to whet their appetite for eternity. There is a hope and a future for the man and the woman. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Having rebelled against God, human beings are driven out of the garden. They will die, as God said that they would. There is a sense in which death is a kindness. It sets a limit on our probation and on the amount of damage we can do in our fallen state. The flaming sword reminds them that for now, the way back to God is closed. They have violated, they have broken the first covenant. The commandment of God now is only death for them. If they try to go back that way, it will only end in frustration and ruin. They will need a new way. But thanks be to God, such a way has been promised. That's how the chapter ends. It's it's a dark ending, but it's not without hope. They are fallen. They are frustrated. They are fighting. But all is not lost because God still loves them. And Jesus is coming. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into of the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa i've seen this project with my own eyes i have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped i have heard the songs and bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the lord and nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for End of the word by investing in these little ones you can do that in one of two ways you can give through the In of the word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at IntoTheWord.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the Fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach.